Hey everyone, welcome to Redeeming Disorder. And today we're going to get a little bit into the survivor weeds, uh, something that we like to do here or there whenever we have someone with a really interesting perspective from the show. And so uh, through a bunch of serendipity, I ended up getting in touch with Hannah Shapiro. She was on Survivor a year ago um, for Millennials vs. Gen X. And she was a really fun guest. We had a lot of fun talking through her mental health perspective before the show and beyond the show, you know, starting from childhood and onward and her attitude toward resources and the sorts of things that can set one up for a mental health struggle or get one through a mental health struggle. And then that ultimately includes her experience on Survivor, both in a general sense where we talk about just what Survivor can be for people and the unique mental health challenges, something like that with so much exposure and intense experience can bring on. But then also um, her particular experiences, which included a panic attack that she had live on national television on Survivor, which uh, was quite an experience. And so I think, you know, regardless of your level of Survivor fandom, there's a ton to take away here. It was a really fun conversation. And Hannah has, uh, you know, both through kind of forced experience and circumstance and her own just thinking about mental health and interest in this topic um, has developed some really strong and I think useful perspectives. So we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Redeeming Disorder, where we delve into the world of mental disorder. To overcome stigma, redeem perceptions, and start a conversation. So today our guest on the podcast is Hannah Shapiro. And she can talk about a ton of things we've covered and things we haven't. She has experience from a young age, both with therapy, dealing with the diagnosis when she was diagnosed with OCD, and sort of normalizing those things and grappling with them. And then had a really interesting story of taking that through young adulthood when she was on Survivor Millennials vs. Gen X. And she had many experiences on there, including a panic attack that was on television and um, so hearing her perspective about uh, everything she dealt with pre and during the show and how what she dealt with before the show colored her perspective on how to deal with what happened on the show should be really fascinating. Um, so Hannah, welcome. I hope so. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not an expert, but I do feel like uh, my nationally televised panic attack allows me to speak on a mental health podcast with uh, some level of expertise. I mean, your season so was really you. interesting because it was it had a lot of uh, mention of mental health between you and other mm. people who were on the show. So, I mean, I think it left people curious, which was really cool for me to see. Yeah, I feel like definitely by the end, we were sort of starting a conversation with the Survivor fandom. And I think it was cool because a lot of times some things Survivor handles really well. And I think other things Survivor maybe had a learning curve with how they handled it. But right. uh, I think with mental health, my season, they really handled it well and let a bunch of people who knew what they were talking about, contestants, kind of tell their own story yeah. rather than have like outside commentary. But right. yeah, anyways, thanks for having me on. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I like, I, yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, we can just get into, I think, your earliest stories. If you want to step back before Survivor and sort of set all of this up, um, I'm curious about, you know, from the little you've told me, you had experiences when you were really young dealing with a diagnosis, dealing with therapy, and dealing with, you know, ideas of normalcy, because I think it's a common theme for anyone, mental illness or not, uh, dealing with, you know, when you grow up, you think everything around you is normal, and it's uh, kind of a, a weird process looking back and figuring out, you know, what normalcy is and isn't, and uh, sort of how you fit into that picture beyond, you know, your family and what you initially know. So could you just talk about your first experiences dealing with that? Yeah. Uh, well, so I, you know, I was always a, a bit of an anxious kid and I don't have some sort of expert answer as to why. I think I just, I was, I was always asking questions about the world and curious about it. And I think I would get overwhelmed pretty easily. Uh, and I got, I had OCD and I started showing that through little ticks. Like I would mm -hmm. walk in and out of the door or turn off and on the light, just like little things that uh, a lot of people with OCD develop. And I had no idea because as a kid, you don't think, oh, my brain's working funny. You won't, I mean, you just think, you know, this is how everyone's brain works. Yeah. But I yeah. remember very specifically, my dad came into my room one night and he had printed out this sheet about OCD. He had like Googled. And it was this first person sort of narrative of someone who had OCD. And he read it to me and he said, you know, does this, does any part of this ring familiar? And I was like, yeah. It was sort of like first works. person statements. Like I, when this yeah. happens, I think this. Yeah. Like if I don't do this, I think something bad will happen. Or if I, you know, and I immediately was like, yeah, that's how my brain works. Why? <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, just, I had no clue that this wasn't supposed to be how I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, and my dad was like, great. Uh, and my parents um, were awesome. And so they very quickly uh, brought me to see a therapist. Um, and so very early on, therapy was normalized for me. I mean, I, I've never, and we can talk about it, but I've never taken any sort of medication for any of the stuff. Not that I'm against it or for it. But yeah. one thing I have, you know, interacted with throughout my life was therapy. And I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in therapy. I think mental health, uh, or not, I think everyone could benefit from a little. Yeah, self I think same here, especially you, Laura. You're, you know, always advocating therapy. Yeah, everyone should go. Because, <laughs> um, absolutely. I know a lot of people who are afraid to go, and so I'm always trying to talk people, trying to normalize it, like you say. Like, it's not, doesn't mean that you have any, should have any shame. Um, it can only be helpful talking to somebody. But what was it like? Um, I'm trying to imagine what it's like going to therapy as a kid and mm -hmm. what that interaction is like. Because I know it, it's probably different than being like adult to adult. Yeah. Well, I have like, like, I mean, I, I listened to the first episode of your podcast and you guys were talking about how <laughs> yeah. memory works as a kid. And it's so interesting because I don't remember every detail of it. I remember that he wore moccasins. And then, <laughs> like, I very distinctly remember that his shoes were really odd. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and then I remember we did, I think it's behavioral therapy, where we worked through sort of the things my brain was telling me I had to do. And I would have to fight against that. Mm. Uh, and I did, you know, get rid of a lot of my OCD tics. Um, and sometimes they'll reappear throughout my life because like, like you guys have talked about on your podcast, like <laughs> mental health is complicated in that it reemerges in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for the most part, it was, you know, it was, I don't have a lot of details, but it did really work for me. I mean, like, you know, I really worked through most of my tics from 
from that experience. Awesome. I had also, I was, I was, um, had an interaction with therapy as a kid because my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, she's fine now. She's good. She's okay. a breast cancer survivor. Uh, but yeah, but I also had a, a uh, I was, my parents put me in therapy uh, for a little bit around that. And um, I just remember playing games, just not, not a lot of memories, but I definitely remember it being normal. So yeah. that later in my life, if I needed therapy, I felt mm-hmm. no qualms about sort of being like, you know what? I think I'm going to look up what my healthcare coverage yeah. and see. Yeah. Oh, that's like it doesn't awesome. necessarily like say something about you that's damning or anything. It's, it's a tool, right? No. I always saw it as a tool. I mean, I remember, and I won't go into all the details, but senior year of college feeling overwhelmed about the future. And I very quickly was like, I think I, it'd be helpful if I could, I mean, I was at Northwestern. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, I think it'd be helpful to have a few sessions of therapy to just sort of process the end of the year. Like there was no sort of stigma in my mind about it. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. Do Do you think like part of the helpfulness of therapy was, uh, sort of making you like look at yourself in a different light. It sounds like from the beginning in your, of your parents coming to you, your dad coming to you and reading those statements, it, they approached it a really good way, which was to non-judgmentally just um, see, you know, what you're thinking about your own thought process. And in my experience, that's been really helpful for like be, just being aware of anything in, in my psyche. Do you think that was a big part of... Of self-reflection? Yeah. Like, was it helpful in that? Well, do you I think, think that's? Do you think that was sort of what right. led to? You said it resolved some ticks. Do you think it was that or something else? I mean, I'm sure therapy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the ticks resolve themselves through more than just working through them. Um, no, I mean, I think therapy. You sort of get to study and reflect on your own mind in a way you wouldn't without it. I mean, it's one thing to talk to a friend and be like, I'm stressed out or I feel this, but it's another to have a completely safe space and be able to interact with your thoughts with that protection. So it definitely, Mm -hmm. I definitely, I've learned a lot about myself and the way my brain works uh, in therapy. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm not perfect. I learned even more from watching myself on national television (laughs) (laughs) and being like, oh God, my perception of myself is, that's like different. reflection taken overboard even kind of i'd say being on a reality show is like therapy where everyone gets to comment <laughs> oh god so not quite as safe uh, yeah we'll get into it yeah <laughs> it's definitely i yeah no it, it there's nothing i mean i just recently was talking to a friend and he was expressing to me some troubles he was having and i was like have you considered therapy and mm-hmm. i could feel that he felt there was some sort of stigma there and I was like I really encourage anyone and I just you know and I think that's why your podcast is so important and I think having shows or spaces to talk about it is so important yeah well I I wonder um like I'm reading this book on attachment I'm a little bit of a psychology nerd but um and it's just talking about how we um the way our parents reflect the way their worldview and and that affects us. And so I think it's really cool hearing you talk about how your family um, reflected back to you and even maybe your therapist, like it kind of, there was no shame in that, you know, getting help and getting therapy. So that's really cool. Yeah. My dad, especially we're both, uh, um, my mom was the one who came and visited me on survivor and I look up to her for many reasons. My dad, I'm, I'm actually very close to, and yeah, he has it. He's taught me a lot about, you know, getting help when you need it. And 
he's been open with me about some of his struggles, which I won't go into because that's for mm-hmm. him to podcast about. Sure. But sure. Uh, <laughs> well, it sounds like you're an awesome yeah. case study in just how you know having that supportive environment around you can yeah. really go far in in healing and dealing with these issues. Because yeah. we've definitely seen and- it the other way where people. Uh, because of an environment really struggle to grapple with their mental health. No, and I listened to your first podcast about how your parents had such different views and how mm-hmm. that affected you. I yeah. mean, and I'm not saying I grew up in this sort of like perfect, I mean, there was still like bullies in school or people who don't understand certain things. But no, I think throughout my life, having sort of my nuclear family be supportive and understanding of any part of the way my brain worked was really helpful. Nice. And oh, go ahead, Laura. Oh, I just like, I really love, you're very comfortable in your skin. And I, like, I, that's something I've had to work so hard at in me my too. life. Really? No, oh, me God. too. <laughs> Please. I mean, gosh, I, before I went on Survivor, I remember thinking, like, if I'm going to go on this show, I have to be some level of comfortable with myself because yeah. I'm going to get all sorts of commentary. And I really had to be like, am I ready to sort of, be able to handle it. And there were even times during the airing of Survivor in which, you know, I would call my brother up crying and be like, my God, all these internet comments are saying this or that. But no, I, it's taken time. I mean, (laughs) I I, I was talking to a girl recently and, and I was like, you know, I don't hate my nose. For a long time I did. And I was like, I did it. I'm comfortable, <laughs> I'm comfortable with myself. No, I know we're not I, recording I, video or showing video, but I wish we could. <laughs> yeah. You, you see, you just like exude comfort with yourself. It's cool. Oh, I don't. And I you're don't know. It's probably not. You're beautiful. No, I mean, listen. I'm <laughs> listen. I think anyone who has a self sense of like a sense of humor, which I I, th- I think I do, is cu- is making fun of themselves because of deep-rooted insecurities. So, you know, it's all a mirage. But, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, But, I mean, you know, it seems as if you've, to- you've done work to, like, come to terms with insecurities. Like, I feel like you can be secure with insecurities, almost. Yeah, I mean, like, at a certain point, I mean, it's going to sound really cliche, but the things that make you weird are, are sort of the more interesting things about you. Yeah. Like, you know, it's... This is getting so cliche, but like, you know, (laughs) you have a short period of time to live your life. I prefer to be surrounded by people I find interesting. Uh, And those people tend to have, you know, some thing to quirk about them. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But thanks for saying that. I mean, I agree. And like the cliche things can be true. Um, oh, but, yeah. you know, transitioning from Hallmark cards to, you know, later in life, <laughs> you came from that supportive environment. You had this accepting, awesome attitude about mental health. How did that affect your ability to deal with what came later? And we not even talking about Survivor oh, yet, but yeah. before Survivor and, you know, dealing with like, yeah. anxiety, for instance, how did that affect yeah. your ability to I cope? Mean, and I, I, would, I would clarify and say, too, before we go on. I was comfortable with like going to therapy and things like that. I think there were many times in my life in which I was not comfortable with myself. I don't mm, want it to seem like yeah. I was just in middle school being like, yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was just, oh, sorry, you can't see. I did a peace sign. Um, no, I, I mean, there were, it took a lot of self-reflection to be okay with things about myself. That was like a whole process. Yeah. Um, but before Survivor, yeah, well, I, you know, moved to LA to be, uh, to be a writer um, and I had gone from a sort of very structured, I mean, I went to Northwestern, I got straight A's in high school. I think a lot of a way people deal with anxiety is through structure and sort of success on the, yeah. you know, 
dual sense and all that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember on a superficial remember, level. On a, I mean, I remember a teacher being like, Hannah, you're always stressed out. But I think stressing about school and grades was a way to sort of manage my anxiety so that when I moved to L.A. to sort of do this sort of unreachable thing of like being a TV writer or whatever the fuck I wanted to do. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. I, you know, I there was a certain point about uh, two years into being in L.A., which was a few months before I started getting cast on Survivor. Uh, when I just felt so a little lost and I started and I was I remember I was in a cafe and I had a panic attack before I knew what it was and it was just I was in I was so overwhelmed and lost and I it was very physical I was in this cafe it felt like a like a heart I don't know how to describe like a sharp pain in my heart uh-huh. and I ended up I ended up kind of like on the floor in this cafe freaking out because I thought I was having some sort of heart attack. And uh, someone in the cafe was like, do you want us to call 911? And I was like, yeah. And I ended up, you know, weeping in an ambulance being like, I think I'm dying. And, uh, you know, slowly by calling my parents and real, I was like, and they, and by EMTs telling me I was fine, I realized it was some sort of anxiety reaction but I had this huge experience um and then I decided to figure out what had happened yeah uh, this all happened a few like you know maybe not a few but a handful of months before Survivor even happened I don't know if this is directly answering your question or no not, it's but... completely answering my question because I'm curious okay. about you know after that experience where do you go from there and did your background and your experience sort of being accepting of going and finding that answer without shame did that help yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I was able to approach professionals and be like, what just happened? Because I mean, it was, to me, it was so I had, I had, you know, dealt with anxiety, but a panic attack is such a physical manis- manifestation of anxiety. Yeah, that many people who have panic attacks for the first time have no clue what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to turn to a professional and and start learning what had happened um i went to the professional i learned that i had had a panic attack i learned some tools to address it um because part of just being able to deal with something like a panic attack is knowing what's happening yeah um and so those professionals you went to were therapists just the therapist Yeah, yeah i just talked to a therapist and uh you know she explained that some basic things like when you're having a panic attack you have to accept the anxiety you can't push it away at the same time you know talking about something other than what's happening is really important Mm -hmm. whether if you're with a friend and you're having a panic attack talking about the hot chocolate you're drinking or the boys whatever you're talking about to continue forward is also really important and when i had had my first one i didn't know what was happening so unbeknownst to me i had heightened the anxiety by sort of calling an ambulance and making it into a whole ordeal Um, all this said, you know, I had started to work with a therapist and, you know, my panic attacks were being, were, were getting smaller and smaller and I was learning how to deal with it. Um, you know, by the time I got to survivor, I was well aware of what they were. I mean, I'm not like a professional, but I, I knew, I knew how to articulate right you you understood what was happening kind of and and had tools. Can you describe, I've had a panic attack before too, and it is so scary. Yeah, it really is. Um, and can you just describe like the physical, what it feels physically? Like, I'm sure um, it's different for everybody. Yeah. But. 
it's different for everyone, and I think it was different. I mean, we'll get to the one on the show, but yeah. there, um, it's different depending on what the panic attack is. But it can feel, I mean, if you Google it even, it can feel like a heart attack. I mean, not a heart attack. I'm sure a heart attack is very painful. I don't want to. You know, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, no we, too, we, I think we all know like you're not you're not trivializing anyone's you know, experience, but you know, I could see how feels, you could think it's that. It feels there's there can be sharp pain in the heart. I mean, I'll talk about the one on the show, but uh it was shooting pain in my arms. Like it it's really physical. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And the more I've talked to people who have had panic attacks, which happens when you have a nationally televised panic attack. <laughs> yes. Uh, is you know more people that have ex- have come up to me and been like it, I I mean I it was so physical and so real and so much there's so much there's so much conversation about how you know mental health should be treated with the respect you know of, of physical problems I would even go so far as to say there's such a connection there that mental health and physical oh yeah you know it connects, it's like I mean, what better evidence to show there's a clear mind-body connection i mean mm-hmm. such a clear i mean and like your story with you know i i mean this isn't what it's about but i listen to your story too and no there's just such a connection when you're when your body physical events can affect your mental health and mental health can affect your mm-hmm. totally yeah VA. and i think we yeah. don't know exactly how that all works but it's undeniable yeah. that there's something going on you know yeah but there's no. more being done i feel i'm a big fan of talking about this because I think people don't understand like what you eat, you know, whether you sleep, like all those things can Mm -hmm. impact your mental health and your physical health. But we just only like to talk about the physical health. We like to delineate things as well to say, you know, like there's the the health issue and the diet issue and the physical Mm -hmm. health issue, the mental health issue, but there's interconnection everywhere. I mean, and we'll talk about this in a sec, but it's why Survivor, the longer you're in a game like Survivor where you're physically being depleted, you're Mm -hmm. mentally losing it too. there's not a a single person and spencer and i who are both in the uh zero votes zero fucks (laughs) uh uh, sorry you can cut that out no no i'll Uh, i'll I'll own it uh no uh you know we we both spent 39 days starving and when your body you know i think spencer can confirm no one's fucking sane by the end i mean you're just i mean there's such a i can't imagine when we talked earlier you said something that i thought was pretty like a a great way to say it you said uh you there comes a point kind of in survivor where you make the choice between i'm gonna stay sane or i'm gonna like actually go further and go like to the end of the game so for me, and this is actually this is not something I necessarily talked about before. Well, definitely not publicly. There was this point, and it it wasn't on the show, the interview, but it was in a secret scene, and so it was so weird to go back and watch this extra interview. Uh, there was a specific interview in which I realized because I was being so physically depleted that I was sort of losing control over my mental state this was actually post panic attack this was deep Mm -hmm. into the game Mm -hmm. and i realized that like when i experienced joy on the show it would be overwhelming it was like floating it was like jumping (laughs) off a cliff and your parachute opening right before you hit the water but when i experienced you know I, i regretted a vote or whatever it was so overwhelming and i felt it in every part of my body and i realized in this interview if i was gonna get to the end I was going to have to lean into it in a way that I, I mean, I didn't have the full capacity to understand this at the time in a way that wasn't necessarily the healthiest. Yeah. And the competitive part in me and the part in me that since day one was saying, you know, 
winning is everything, getting to the end is everything, said, no, fuck it, lean into it. And it was, it was a choice. It was a choice to be like, all right, I'm giving myself to this, this game. Yeah. This is, this is it. I mean, that, I'm like I'm, having anxiety <laughs> hearing you talk about it. Like, Survivor's amazing. I love Survivor, but no. no, no but no. what you said resonates for sure with the yeah. heightened emotions and the insane uh, swings. And I think oh. you're really hitting the nail on the head with it relates to that lack of, you know, physical comfort. When you have nothing, your emotions just sort of go crazy and oscillate with a huge magnitude. And it, I think it relates to what you mentioned, you know, five, ten minutes ago when you talked about um, the importance of you know, a little distraction or ways that you can maybe cope with when you are anxious, when Survivor, that's all clearly stripped away, right? You know, the, the physical yes. comforts, the food, anything that might be something you can focus on is gone. Do you, do you think that's sort of what makes the difference? Yeah, I mean, and I would say this, and, and I, I think this is, people may disagree, but in Survivor, it's stripped away in stages, like, at, at, you know, you get your phone taken away and your the comforts of home and your support system are gone. Mm -hmm. Then you're sort of on this island and you build relationships, you know, you build your own support system. And slowly you have to betray that support system. <laughs> and those are yeah. gone. Yeah. And then your body more and more depletes. You know, I lost 22 pounds on the show. Um, and I would say... I mean, yeah, I think that's a that's a ton for I mean, it's, like for your starting weight. I'm not the biggest person. Yeah, that's a ton. Uh, it was a lot of weight. I mean, I and you know what's funny is you know I, I I remember this is not this is not as related, but I remember getting home and and L. A. Everyone was like, Hannah, you look so good <laughs> because you know, I was I was emaciated, and I remember looking at myself naked in the mirror, being like, I look horrible. That's, like this is yeah. not good. I was like, where did my tits go? <laughs> I had to wait so long to get boobs and now they're I'm sorry. This is about No, me. that's actually that is interesting and I, I would like to just briefly touch on it because it's yeah. I think like the self perception aspect of that is interesting. Um and I think it's obviously really like our experiences are so different and like the so cultural messaging and like where we put our value, value systems, I'm sure it's all like very different. Um, but I had like a opposite experience when I got done and I was emaciated. I looked at myself in the mirror and I remember distinctly being like, oh yeah, I look pretty good. And then looking at pictures of me before Survivor and being like, my, I looked like big. I looked like chunky kind of like my, uh, my face was inflamed and like, I literally like now, obviously I see it very differently and mm -hmm. I, I think correctly now, but like, I feel like I got like a tiny glimpse into what it's like to have like a dysmorphia or to like see that in a different light. That's fascinating. There were moments where, I mean, I remember when I got to Ponderosa day 39, I took a shower and I put on this little crop top and I was like, <laughs> I look hot. I could never pull this off before. But no, I always realized, I mean, I liked how I looked in the crop top, but no, I, God, I felt so depleted. And I felt like my body was a representation of how much the game had taken for me at that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, it's a very specific experience to get to the end and not win. The game takes a lot out of you when that happens. Yeah, for and sure. I just felt like my physical thing was just such a representation of that. And it's interesting that you had the opposite 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think that's common. I think there yeah. are there is a history of Survivor contestants developing eating things too. Really, I don't want to. Well, I, I know like certainly off. like a, a afterward like hiding food and stuff. I that's a thing. Oh my god! I oh there was so much. It this this is a whole separate conversation. Yeah, it is. Well, I feel like I need to step in just as I'm thinking of people yeah. who might be listening who might have struggled with eating disorders. Oh. And um, I, I had my own issues with it, but um, I also w- interned at this uh, outpatient or inpatient um, facility where people with eating disorders would go. And I think like it's kind of like when you deny yourself food to get to a certain image, to that emaciated mm-hmm thing that that in your sick mind you think looks great Mm -hmm. you feel powerful Mm -hmm. and it's a very addicting that's why it's you know kind of about control an addiction yeah and it's like addicting to feel that power um and it's you know for them you know it's like losing control and losing power is eating food you know that's to nourish you yeah so i do think it's really interesting i've kind of wondered about that and that's like I'm like scared to death to ever to ever even like apply because I just like what would that do to me (laughs) like yeah like Uh. all of that that you would go through and what you know whatever your weaknesses Mm -hmm. are I'm sure would come out and so yeah and you know sorry I didn't no I think that was actually a good a good tangent I mean I think it's uh like survivor like I think the big thing is it just seems to put you in like not only is it doing this stuff but it just makes you it makes it so hard to cope with the stuff um, so hard. And like, I mean, I. Oh, sorry. No, I was, it, did you have something you wanted to I'm get in? So, no, no, no. You continue. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm so bad. I. I. I'm no, like don't worry. I want you to just I like this know. should be just like a living room conversation. You're the guest. You're supposed to, to talk. Exactly. <laughs> I, I get nervous. I'm like hyper aware that like someone on the internet's gonna be like. Hannah interrupted too much or like <laughs> Hannah did the, like I did I, I did rub as a podcast and people were like she was so scattered and I was like oh <laughs> just talking um so if I get neurotic at any point you just uh, no. well no I, can we talk about that though yeah like, the I, internet I, feedback I think that's something yes, you wanted to talk about yeah, anyway because that's another thing that would be yeah. so scary to me somebody who's not done anything like that yeah. like mm-hmm. what was that like first because i i think talking about the events that happen and then talking about yeah, the feedback sure. might make more sense to yeah just, sure just, absolutely sorry. yeah uh you know there's a lot to get to, but i want to <laughs> so, talk about it sorry. no i mean so we were talking about uh panic attacks a while yeah. ago and we were talking about the panic attack you had before survivor yes. how you were able to cope with that and you talked to a therapist and that was really helpful you know you're yeah. able to learn about what was going on and then uh as you went on the show it seemed like the we were, it seemed like the the switch that flipped is you know was like the resources around you um and before we talk about the show one thing you said that actually really was curious about that i remembered i wanted to ask is you talked about how and i think this is an interesting distinction how you don't want to suppress anxiety if you're having a panic attack or feeling that but it can be helpful to focus on something else um is that a hard distinction because i think it's it's an important one is that a hard one for you to make I mean, yeah, yes. And I'm not, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. Uh, but no, I think definitely you have to accept that anxiety is happy. Like you're feeling yeah. anxious. Like yeah. you can't, but you also have to try to keep doing what you're doing and doing and functioning, like acknowledging it, but mm-hmm. still try to continue with whatever you're doing. Not let it control um, you. Right, because I think the more you focus on the anxiety, the more you're giving it 
room to grow. I don't right. know. It's a tricky. I'm I, not an expert. I would be curious to hear what you I think. I think it's like another sort of vision into this like weird dichotomy that exists in a lot of different areas of life between, um, you know, the internal and the external. Like you can help yourself, but there are factors that are affecting you. You know, mm. like you can. It, it is what you think on does grow, and it can be helpful to think about something else and focus on the positive, but you can't deny the existence of the negative. You know, those external things or whatever made you feel anxious is real. Yeah, yeah. You sort of have to address them, um, which in the real world Address it, is, but not let it, you know, enslave you maybe. Right. I don't know what the balance is. I, I'm still figuring it out. I'm also not, like, cured of anxiety. <laughs> but it seemed uh, like you developed great coping abilities in insofar as reflecting on that first experience. And then you told me about, you yeah. know, another attack that happened right. when you were on a plane. Well, and it seemed like you were better equipped to figure out what was happening. Right. So I wasn't just on a plane. I was, so when I had given my phone up to production and mm -hmm. I was flying, we were flying to Fiji. Yeah. I mean, and for those who don't know, when you're a part of a survivor cast, uh, you don't, you have this pre-game thing, which lasts about a week, um, and you you fly together, but you're not allowed to talk to anyone. Like, everyone's off limits. You're in lockdown, is what we call it. And you can talk to production, but you can't talk to the other 19 people. You're about to go play this game in front of millions of people. Um, and I, so I had lost my support system because I no longer had my phone. I was surrounded by a bunch of strangers who I was intimidated by. <laughs> and... Yeah. I was about to go play Survivor thinking, holy shit, I don't think I can turn back now. And I was sitting on the plane and I started feeling sick. I just, it did, it manifests, speaking of phys physical manifestation, mm -hmm. I just started feeling nauseous. And I thought, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking throw up in front of all these contestants <laughs> and I'm not gonna be able to, I'm not gonna be able to like, cause usually if you like throw up on the island, I can like make a joke and make everyone feel fine. So I started feeling sick and so I, I tapped my casting person on the shoulder who was on the plane with me and we went back to the into the back of the plane and I was like I think I'm feeling sick and then it dawned on me that I was just really anxious and then it was it wasn't a full-blown panic attack of course but we were able to talk about you know the trashy magazine she had or other <laughs> things yeah. so I, I was able to address that it was anxiety and not push it away mm -hmm. but also you know talk about something else and, and chill out for a moment mm -hmm. um but yeah, it was, uh, that was, like I said, you know, your survivor, it, it comes in stages. The yeah, sort of right. And that was like an earlier stage, you know, you had lost your phone, yeah. but you still had the magazine, you still had the handler. Um, and then I'd love to talk about sort of the contrast between that situation yeah. and um, actually being on survivor at a later stage, having lost, you know, like what a lot of people would call everything, a lot of stuff, having lost a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So. I had a nationally televised panic attack. Um, and I, first of all, I'm really thankful because the show let me narrate it. Yeah. Uh, they, I got to explain what was going on. They could have very easily cut to another contestant making fun of me. Like, it could have gone. Oh, you've seen this on Survivor. Yeah, for sure. You know, mm -hmm. Someone with either a physical or mental thing not getting to explain their story. And I was very thankful that the show let me explain it. But no, they're. Uh, just, but the, the context, I still feel like wasn't as fully explained on the show just because of time things. But we were, uh, it was, you know, in the middle of the game and we were on a swap beach uh, and there were three swap tribes, basically. And my swap tribe was on a new beach mm -hmm. uh, called Ikabula. And 
production on the other beaches were just walking around in t-shirts and shorts. On our beach, they had netting over their faces because the bugs were so bad. Um, it, it was filled with trash. We and for any for any non-survivor watchers, the context yeah. of this is like this beach was designed to be kind of like hellish. The twist yeah. was like, hey, you group like this group over here, you drew, you uh, had bad luck. You're going to have to go to like this terrible beach with absolutely nothing and suffer. Yeah, they wanted. I think we kept talking about this. Anchor on second chance. Yep. Uh, yeah. They Anchor wanted. Was the same, yeah. They wanted us. They even gave us an extra person. I think they wanted us to lose a lot, but we just refused to lose as much as they wanted. But no, we were on this horrible beach, uh, and we literally weren't sleeping. I mean, like we would wait for the tides to come in, uh, so that the bugs would be less bad. And I only had a dress. Like I, I so I. Basically, we were not sleeping. We had a little bit of rice, but on the other beaches, we were fine with food for the most part. I mean, I was still losing weight. It's still Survivor. But we would, like, search for these, like, muddy clams. Like, we were not eating. We were not sleeping. So all the normal barriers that sort of keep your mental state in check were just gone. I mean, I was not sleeping. I was not eating. And at the, and, and at, on the same time, the game was getting more intense. I mean, I, I don't know how many people are not Survivor fans or are that, watch the, that listen to the podcast, but... You're mm -hmm. getting close to what's called the merge when everyone merges together mm -hmm. and everyone wants to make the merge because it's sort of a high. End. So you're feeling the pressure to get to this next stage of the game. And I we went to this challenge and I thought I was going to be this key person in the challenge and my teammates didn't want me to be, which is which is fine. And I just the over I just felt so overwhelmed because I felt like on a game level, which was the all important thing to me, I had failed. And so the anxiety was just overwhelming. And I had none of the sort of natural things you have sleep and, yeah. and other things. Right. So, yeah, I just sort of it and it, it, I was standing at the side of this challenge and it was a very physical thing. Again, we've talked about the physicality. Of it. I just suddenly I'm in pain. And I, I, I couldn't see straight. There was like, you know, I was I felt dizzy and overwhelmed. And I was with uh, Brett LaBelle, who was on my season. And he uh, he kept asking if I was dehydrated, which he later told me he was also trying to protect me because he didn't want to mm. be like, you know, you're having this thing. You know, mm, yeah. He didn't know me, but yeah. And I just uh, I was standing in the sun with him and he's like, do you want to move to the shade? And I did. And yeah, I just completely physically collapsed. I mean, it was shooting pain in my arms and everything too that I normally have to minimize it talking about a magazine or whatever I didn't have instead mm -hmm. I had a camera in my face <sighs> uh like right in my face I had Dr. Joe who's lovely and handsome you know <laughs> Dr. Joe ran out and was behind me you know suddenly props was there I mean it was this huge thing and I could feel viewers even though yeah. they weren't there when you're on the island, you sort of forget about the audience. But this was a moment where there were just cameras. And yeah. And as you started having the panic attack, did that just intensify? Was it like a positive feedback loop? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. Like, I, it's funny. I didn't fully collapse until the challenge was over because I was like, I can't stop this challenge. Like, I can't, I don't want everyone to have to stop this challenge. But as soon as the... The, there were three teams. As soon as the second team got the second place thing, mm -hmm. it's done. Suddenly, I was like, "Guys, I need, I need medical. Like, I need, I just need water or something." Um, but no, it was all the content. I mean, I, I have 
images from it. Like I remember Gosh. looking up and I remember seeing um, my two closest allies at the time, which were Zeke Smith and like Michelle Schubert. Um, and I remember looking up and Michelle, who's very religious, was praying. Oh, yeah. and, and Zeke uh, just looked so concerned. And I just, I just have these like, yeah, I just have flashes from it. I remember Brett <laughs> who was great with the umbrella. But yeah, it was like everything that we've talked about that, that I needed, I didn't have. And yeah. I had the opposite. You had what would, what would hurt, actually, not what would help. Yeah, I would say millions of viewers during a panic attack is maybe not. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, you know, and the last part of it that was very overwhelming. Um, I don't know why I keep going to my notes as if that's going to like, as if I'm going to see something there. That I maybe I'm it's like, just well, like a little piece of comfort. A little comfort, yeah. yeah. No, but the other hard part about having, I mean, many hard parts about having a national televised panic attack, but we went back to camp and you're still in Survivor. Yeah. You still want to win Survivor. You don't want to get voted out because you just had this thing that felt so big to me. Mm-hmm. And we got back. I remember this also very distinctly. We all sat on a log and we had won second place at the challenge. So we each had a single cookie. And I remember, I think it was Sunday, turned to me and was like, hey, you, you okay, Hannah? And I was like, yep, I'm good. Because I had to be, because that's how you mm-hmm. have to play Survivor. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it would have hurt yeah. your game if you had, you know, really just been authentic completely. Right, and uh, you know, it's one of those. And and granted, there were plenty of moments where you know I expressed a lot of what I was feeling when I mm-hmm. shouldn't have. But no, it was one of those things where I immediately had to minimize this thing that felt so big, which you don't have to do in the normal world. Right, but. Right. It, yeah, but I think like a lot of times people do minimize. Like I know I've definitely when I've had panic attacks, I felt the same way. I mean, I wasn't being televised and I wasn't in this intense game, but like I, I was in the game of life. <laughs> but like, um, but feeling that need to minimize me, like oh joke, you know, joke, like oh it wasn't a big deal. Oh sorry, you know, just kind of like move through it. And I think a lot of people, especially with anxiety. Um, because I think more people have anxiety attacks than we than is you know Reported. widely known. Yeah, yeah. and because um, I know like when I would have panic attacks, I didn't know what they were. I just was yeah, like, oh, I freaked out and it's, I couldn't uh, breathe. It seems almost you know a hundred percent that more happened than we know about because because you know a certain percentage of people are not uh, are hiding it or minimizing. It. Of course, and I got you know no I I re- I. Well, a few things. Like, it's like, yes, in real life, we also do try to minimize it. I mean, that's why I was struck by your story. You were like, had this horrific accident happen, and you went back to school, and we're like, I'm <laughs> fine. I mean, it's just, I know, we, we do that in life, too. Um, in Survivor, especially, I, yeah, but the amazing thing was, I mean, back to the response, which yeah. you had touched yep. on earlier, is I, you know, I've just... There are so many people that have had panic attacks, and I know because so many of them have reached out to me. Wow. Um, yeah, like I, so but before the panic attack week, um, I knew it was coming, obviously. It was actually the week that Rob has a podcast, had his live event, and I had oh, okay. I would have nightmares about being on this, oh lot, this giant screen, having a panic attack in front of all the RHAP viewers. I mean, it was just, but I gave Zeke from, Zeke Smith from my season, my Twitter, uh, I just gave up my social media because I was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I actually, 
I watched, uh, I all, this is less interesting, but I watched, you know, all the swap episodes together. Like I, I stopped watching for a few weeks. Like I really yeah. prepared myself for, you know, whatever was going to happen. Yeah, and yeah. I, was, and I, I will, I will talk about the commentary, which can be really harsh, but right. people were so good about this. Like the audience, the response I got, like Zeke, called what well, i talked to zeke and he was like you know your twitter is nothing but positive messages Aww. and like people who either relate to what you're going through or feel like you articulated it well um and i just mm -hmm. i was so blown away because you know i mean earlier in the season the response to me voting someone out was to call me a dumb bitch on my instagram <laughs> so i just thought my goodness this is going to be so horrible and it was so mm -hmm. positive i was just wow. like yeah, that is all. And it must have been a relief because I'm wondering, you know, after you minimized it in the moment, did it feel like watching it like you actually had to finally experience it fully for the first time? Like you just yeah. had images initially from your experience itself and then you suddenly yeah. have to relive it in full color, not minimizing it, maximizing yeah. it. I mean, I remember the promo for that episode really was scary. Like, it was me collapsed being like, I think I'm going to die. And I just freaked out. I was like, oh, God. Jeez. Like, I'm never going to get a job again. Like, what, what am I going to do? Like, this is... But no, I actually, you know... Yeah, it, it was weird. I I've, I only watched it once. Uh, it's not an episode I, you know, put on some popcorn and rewatch. Uh, right. But no, I... It was hard to watch, but again, I was thankful that I got to narrate it. Like, there were mm -hmm. secret scenes of a few people who didn't understand and didn't say nice things, and they didn't include that in the episode. They let mm -hmm. me tell it, and so I felt like, yeah, that's what happened, and um, yeah. And I got, I didn't just get responses from strangers. I had, like, friends from college or high school reach out and be like, I had a panic attack, and because I watched what you went through, I knew what was happening. Yeah. Which uh -huh. like, the most. Like, I had a, a friend from my acting class in college be like, yeah, I remembered what I had watched you go through. And so I was able to, voc like, like, articulate it to myself. Um, you had a positive impact on a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know. If you're going to have a nationally televised panic attack, you've got to have something. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know at least, I mean, for me and I hope for you that something good can come out of that really hard experience for you. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, that's why I wanted to come on this podcast. I feel like destigmatizing mental health is, yeah. is so important. And yeah. I mean, you know, I told you this, Spencer, I don't do a lot of podcasts. I, uh, <laughs> and I I'm did. very grateful you made an exception for us. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, there's, you know, when you're a finalist, you get invited to a bunch of Survivor podcasts, and they're all lovely, and so many of those podcasters are so cool, but the last thing I wanted to do was go on a speaking tour of revisionist history <laughs> oh, yeah, of my no. Survivor game. Right. Be like, I'm in control, I was in control the whole time, right. like everyone said. <laughs> Uh, nothing not good can come out of like revising history and it's just like miserable to talk about like I remember when I did the press after my finale it was so miserable I hated it. every single interview I was just dreading like I was just like went into <laughs> robot mode and just I was like getting through it you know I, I liked some of it I liked being able to talk about perception and yeah. sort of maybe some gender inequalities but yeah there were a few questions I still uh I still remember I'm like really like one person was like did you, you know, did you think you were going to be the dark horse? Did you actually think you were going to win? I was like, yeah, I don't go into it thinking I'm going to lose. Like, come on now. <laughs> um, uh, 
you know, it's the whole uh, it's the whole post show commentary yeah. of it all. Well, and which it's is really hard. I mean, are so you comfortable hard. talking about the kind of the difficulty of that, both with respect yeah. to your panic attack and with just the show in general and getting that insane amount of feedback? So much feedback. I mean, there are many different parts of it um, because there's the the helpful part. And then there's the sort of part you have to eventually let go. Like, mm-hmm. the, like for example, you know, I had what's called a growth edit on the show. You know, I started and people were like, what is she doing? And then by the end, I feel like most viewers were like, oh, I kind of see what she's doing. Um, but, you know, those early episodes, you know, I would say episodes two and three, especially, I want to say, uh, I, you know, we're really tough. There was, I remember there was one scene in which I get in an argument with two, two contestants and I watched it and, you know, they're trying to tell me they need space and I'm just not listening. I'm like, okay, but w- won't you listen? And I watched it back and I was like, oh, I do do that in arguments sometimes. <laughs> This is something I could learn from. What I didn't need was like the whole internet to tell me that too. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was an entire thread and I stopped reading uh, Survivor Reddit after this. Right. But there was an entire thread on Reddit that was like, oh, she's just like my ex-girlfriend. Like, <laughs> and then I actually recently I wrote a satire article and I jokingly poked fun at Survivor Reddit. It ended up on Survivor Reddit. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Half the people were like, ugh, I liked her better on TV. But then half the people were like, yeah, we can be assholes sometimes. Um, <laughs> there is so like I a appreciated little self-awareness both. there. Yeah. Um, no, but it was hard. It's hard because there are times you watch it and you're like, oh, that's accurate. And you don't need the internet to sort of tell you. But there were, you know, there were other times. Like I said, the the first vote, I, uh, I it was not something I, you know, regretted or mm-hmm. uh, I thought I, you know, it's, you don't need all the specifics, but I chose yeah. to vote with majority and right. I happened to vote out a friend and an internet celebrity. And I right. got, my Instagram was just filled with dumb bitch, you whore, like all these things. And, and again, it's what I talked about. It's like before I went on the show, I was like, am I secure enough with myself and my, to be able to handle this, maybe to break down or whatever, but to be able to move past this and, even with the answer being yes, it was it was still hard yeah, sometimes. Right. I feel like you know? there needs uh, to be a survivor or a reality TV support group because it sounds so intense. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was, I got a suggestion that I should write a book like Surviving Survivor. It is fun too. I feel yeah. like this is podcast is about mental health and all yeah. that. Mm, yeah. Explaining a very specific part of the experience. I'm not trying to. No, but it's no. like it's, it, it, I think like with Survivor like blows out of proportion this phenomenon that I think is becoming a little bit a part of everyone's lives where we get feedback via social media and all these mediums where people are talking back at us. And as you said, there's a use for that feedback, um, Mm -hmm. for knowing the effect you're having on people, reflecting, thinking if you want to change something, but you don't need maybe as you don't need a hundred tweets about it. I mean, I I would say so much of my not just panic attack wise, I've gotten so many nice people via social media. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make it clear that we're talking about if 90% of it is people who love the show and are great mm-hmm. fans. And I've mm-hmm. gotten to meet a lot of them. Yep. Like I got to 
meet a fan that was like a firefighter a few days ago that tapped me on the shoulder that was like my daughters love you and it was just really sweet like I've had so many positive interactions with the fan community but no there is this percentage that you know you really become this character that Mm -hmm. people feel like they have the right to comment on Uh and a lot of times you know it's people commenting on their own insecurities and using you as the medium I had someone smartly say no maybe this chat room or that chat room is harsher on you because you represent you know this sort of nerdy whatever that they relate to more so they're even harsher than they would be i mean it's it's easy to make fun of sort of like a nerdy character you relate to than to pick on like i don't know like joe englum or someone (laughs) he's like hot and unattainable like he's not someone i'm actually I actually relate uh-huh. to in that. No, hundred yeah. percent. There's totally an aspect of when someone is feels that need to criticize someone. I think it does speak to what's going on with them. And like, there's a quote that Laura and I have mentioned that I think holds some truth that, you know, what we criticize in others is what we don't like in ourselves. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, of course we're all, I mean, I'm sure I've criticized people when it, uh, dealing with my own insecurities. Yeah. I've never, you know, felt the need to write about it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I mean, getting even beyond the neg- yeah. whether it's negative or positive, I'm really interested just in the phenomenon of that feedback in general. And I think on social media, when we are getting comments and now, you know, emojis or whatever it is in reply to whatever we're putting out there, it seems to me like anyone can make themselves a character like a survivor character where what oh, they're doing sure. is based on that feedback and not really based on authenticity. It's based on what they're getting from people. Right. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I feel like there have been a lot of studies that show that social media is linked with feeling sad or even so far as like tying into depression. I mean, I follow uh, a Instagram account called World of Bullies. That's just cute puppies. So I usually (laughs) feel happier after social media. But no, there's definitely I mean, every person is putting up you know, you're if it's Instagram, just mm-hmm. to simplify it, because there's so many. Yeah. You're, you know, you're you're telling a story of your life as you want it to be, or as you the parts that you want it to be. And I mean, you're you're not like showing when you're anxious. You're not taking a picture of yourself in the right. corner of your room. No anxious. one's Instagram posting like waking up and look like their eyes being like half open with some like uh, baggy <laughs> no. eyes, like brushing their teeth. Right. There's no Instagram of me being like, hashtag anxious today. Like, (laughs) damn, hashtag mental health. No, it's like me looking cute in a jumpsuit drinking, you know, like. And so I I think it is like I think people go on social media and feel isolated in their experiences of any level of pain because they see all these people that are so happy. Yeah. And it's like it's an illusion of connecting. But they aren't necessarily connecting their character. Their story is connecting, right? Right. Yeah, even if you have 43 followers on Instagram, you're creating a story of who Sarah, you know, blanket. I don't know. That's a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I trying to be a writer, and I'm like, what's a last name? Sarah Blank. <laughs> but, no, that is I mean, a last I name, can't. to be fair. Yeah. Uh, blank, <laughs> blank. No, but, you know, it's. Uh, I have such a mixed, mixed feelings about social media because, like, Twitter's been great. I've gotten so much better at writing yeah. jokes and yeah. and Instagram. I mean, I really I have liked connecting yeah. um, and reading messages of I, again, like social media was the platform that made me feel less alone after a very personal moment got public, like got shown. I mean, it was all these messages that w- that made me feel I mm-hmm. was getting a lot of 
people relating to my story sure. and telling me. So yeah. And I, I don't necessarily, yeah, I'm not really on the train of just totally demonizing it. I, I just think like these negative effects can easily go under the surface, but it's 100%. true. Like to, and you know, spreading a message, if you are being authentic, it is a means of connection and it's cool. It's, it's amazing what it allows for. It's just like so many other pieces of technology, a double-edged sword, it seems like. Well, I would say, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I mean, I would say anytime you live in a world that's not, the people around you, whether friends or family, mm-hmm. you know, it disconnects you on some level from the reality, whether it's social media or living. I would even say, I mean, maybe this is too controversial, but like, you know, people who get off Survivor but never sort of leave the Survivor game is yeah. a world of, yeah. it's a way of disconnecting from the reality of your life. It was so important for me when I got back from the show to like reconnect with like my sketch team at UCB and my, you know, the writing I wanted to do. And that's the things that helped sort of like put me back in my own reality rather than sort of like living off this fantasy mm-hmm. world that I had lived in, in for a month and a half. So whether totally. social media or Survivor, I mean, there's so many ways to disconnect. Yeah, I feel like Sorry. what we were saying before it probably yeah. could help people in general. But what you were saying just now probably would help a lot of survivors. I think that <laughs> that happens so often. And I think it's why survivors. I think Survivor is a bad thing for more people than it's a good thing for. Um, and I, I don't think it needs to be a bad thing for, I think it can be a good thing. It's totally within your ability to make it a good thing, but I think it, there is a definite temptation, um, or tendency to like get sucked into that world for sure. Yeah. It's complicated. I mean, like, listen, and I, I, I love survivor starting from 14 and getting to play was so special to me and, realizing that the sort of like Jeff Probst is was just as incredible as I thought he was going to be, <laughs> yeah. if not more. Uh-huh. And like everyone who works on it, like the, the crew are some of the most amazing. I've worked in production. These these guys and girls are just incredible. The producers, everyone who does sure. it is so good. For sure. And playing it, at least my season, was just playing in this thing that I loved. There are just many parts of it, you know, especially uh-huh. as a player, you know, and I, I think it's, you know, I think I think it's important to live in the world too when you get home. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys feel like um because you were put on such a big stage, I feel like you know, in a lot of ways it's facing this giant fear of like that nobody really wants, but you guys did it. <laughs> and um do you feel like freer and more um okay with taking big risks? I think you see that um like I think there's a phenomenon that when you think you can't do something or when you get to a point of saying, okay, that's like a limit, really it's not a limit. It's like 40% of your limit. And I think Survivor like proves that out for you. So I think after you do it, you see like, wow, I can actually go a lot longer without food than I think I need to. Like I can actually do a lot more physically than I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not that it's a healthy thing to do, but, um, it shows you that you have a lot more in you than you might think otherwise. Definitely. I mean, I think in some ways I'm probably more insecure post survivor, but I think in other ways it toughened my skin a lot. Like realizing that, you know, you might fail sometimes in life and you might get stuck, but you know, you can also get through that. And I think I don't know that I, I think I almost, despite my growth edit grew more, 
getting through the post-survivor sort of like experience Mm, than even being on the show Uh because it just taught me the importance of, yeah, the importance of going after what you want and seeking adventure, but also learning to sort of move past that and learning that like, and it, yeah, it does, you know, you, you leave the show hungry to be adventurous. I think, uh, I think that's why you see so many Survivor players uh, traveling around the world and doing all these because you're just you're just hungry for the thing. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you disagree, Spencer? No, I, I actually agree. I think you get hungry for that, but I think uh, it's sort of like it's something that can have great benefits and great power, but it can be a little bit like addictive in its quality. Mm, Specifically, definitely. when and I think it's awesome when people translate that to being an adventurer in life, but. I, I think, and when I say it's a bad thing for a lot of people, I don't mean, you know, like viewers or, I mean mm-hmm. like contestants who go on because they think it'll help them, like it'll fix them or it'll be like oh. what they need. And I think well, a lot of contestants do get obsessed about Survivor. They're waiting by the phone. They want to go back. If you talk to them, they only want to talk about going back. <laughs> um Wait, I, th- I, 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 meant to, I meant to say yeah. this podcast means we're in a pregame alliance, right? <laughs> for sure. For <laughs> the next is, time we play, which is never, like, yeah, absolutely. Is, yeah, <laughs> I just I want to know that we're going to the end of <laughs> um, well, you really. I mean, when I say adventure, too, let me just to clarify off of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can be as bold as I was, maybe not even on the island, but by choosing to go on the island, despite perhaps looking like a fool, then I can, uh, you know, I can try to write a pilot and send it to someone because why not? That's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah, I, I, coming off Survivor and realizing that I still had the things I was passionate about, but that maybe I could approach it with a new boldness if I could get through, you know, the adventure that is Survivor. No, but I, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I... I think, no, and it's like, it's, for a fan, obviously, it's so cool to go on Survivor, but it's just, you know, I I, I hope people, you know, like, do it for those reasons, and because it's an awesome experience, and not just because, like, they want to be on television, and they think well, the feedback is going to do something amazing for them. Yeah, that's the thing I want to, because I think that... Um, we'll go on for the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I think a lot of people want to be famous. And even like, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you scroll through Instagram or Twitter, like everybody's trying to be the wittiest and everybody's trying to put, you know, be the whatever, put out this image. Yeah. And I think um, and I know people who watch Survivor and like and maybe um, talk badly about the people who go on because they're jealous, you know, yeah. and they want that fame and they want, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't I I mean, think what you guys are saying is like it's not it's not like um, like as amazing as <laughs> these people think. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, it's funny. I, oh, sorry. I went to the Twitter of a hater once, and in her bio, she was like, "Gonna be on Survivor one day." And I was, <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't even yeah. go so far to say, and uh, I will not name the name, but you know, there was a member of my cast that still, for a year after the show, would tweet mean things about me because that person didn't have the Survivor experience they wanted, and there was a yeah. level of jealousy there, and right. I was just like. Wow, it was it was you know, and and for me, I just loved. I was fascinated by, you know, everything about Survivor fascinated me, and it was a lot. Despite me doing comedy or wanting to do writing, it was so separate from that. It what it really the TV part was the part that gave me pause. I mean, yeah. I worked in production for a reality show right before I went on. I wasn't a barista. Um, <laughs> you knew the deal. And, 
I knew the deal. No, I knew, I knew the deal. And I went up to one of the producers I worked for in this um, reality show I worked on. And I said, listen, I'm getting, I might be able to get on Survivor. And they were like, why would you want to do that? They were sitting in front of an editing bay. And this producer was like, I'm currently ruining someone's life right now. Wow. And, and I just remember thinking, I remember in casting, even talking to my parents and being like, I love Survivor so much. Jeff Probst makes me giggle. It's so genuine. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to be a reality star. Like, I'm not. Right. That terrified me. Like, yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Not that Survivor actually makes you, like, famous. Like, you're probably a one on the scale to 100 of, right. of like, yeah. fame. But there's, like, a Jim Carrey <laughs> quote that I think is cool. That's, like, I wish yeah. everyone could become rich and famous so they can realize it's not the answer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, d- we're D-list fading fame. We're not, <laughs> yeah. we're, not, we're not real celebrities. I think That's you have to go to the double letters indexes to get what list we are like we're like a d list (laughs) i mean i i yeah it's so funny too i uh i was talking to i you know yeah i because you when you start sorry that's a lot of ums but um (laughs) as i say um um, a lot of thoughts (laughs) no i when you start survivor and a new player season i mean spencer you probably experienced this Mm -hmm. no one has any level of so maybe there's like a famous NFL or secretly in right, the mix, but right. for the most part, you know, you have a very level head, and yeah. I think you watch people sort of dive off into <laughs> <laughs> it is quite the phenomenon. Um, uh, just just to like wrap up, I'd love to hear about like a couple of those survivor connections you've made where they haven't di- dove off, dived, dove, <laughs> dived off into insanity. Um, where they've actually been like a great resource. You know, we talked about like yeah. the harshness that social media can provide or feedback yeah. or uh, other stuff, but like it's, you've made a few like actually really great healthy connections, it seems like. Yeah. Well, I remember coming off the show, uh, I had coffee with Sophie Clark and she said something that was so smart. She was like, you know, the people you eventually become close with post survivor are the people you naturally would have common commonalities with in real the real world mm-hmm. whether that's good or bad like what that might there's a sad side to that you know you make these connections that you normally wouldn't but you know right. she was just like you know you're gonna find me and i did i was really lucky this my season because i mean i remember in casting jeff probst was like so what do you get like because i'm like this like liberal jew from boston <laughs> it's like what are you gonna do if like there's like a Cruz supporting Republican and I was like I don't know like uh but I got to the island and the first person I met was like Zeke mm-hmm. who does use who did like UCB comedy in New York and I do like UCB comedy in LA and uh he's a friend from the show who you know has helped me through a lot of the the tough times and we've and I've you know done the same for him with his uh tough show times uh-huh. and um and then Dave, Dave Wright as well, who was on the show, uh, who I had heard about, there was this sort of weird thing where there was like a picnic with two tribes and uh, right. I had heard about Oh yeah, about I remember Dave. that, yeah. Yeah, I had heard about Dave before I met him, um, being like, there's this like nervous- Was that from, uh, right? from Tales <laughs> that you heard about Dave? From Tales and other people. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were like, there's this nervous TV writer. And then when I went to my swap beach, I remember hearing even more being like, you know, he's just, uh, he, he's scared of everything. And he apologizes <laughs> all the time. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I have to meet him. Uh, <laughs> no, it was so fun again to meet, to, to meet another person who I had 
commonalities with outside the game. Yeah. And it's funny because in Survivor, there's this secret scene that didn't make the show, but it's Dave and, and I talking about how much we have in common. And he's sort of like the person I relate to most on this island is a 24-year-old girl. Uh, <laughs> we're just sitting there, and it was just one of those things where we were having, I mean, obviously he did not have the sort of panic attack I did, but we were having a lot of parallel experiences. Like I met him at the merge and, you know, we both bonded over, you know, being overwhelmed on day two, thinking we were going to get voted out first. And sort of, we, we both found ourselves in similar positions where we, we related to more people than we thought we would, but we also, our own neuroses was, were slowing us down. Like it was just, yeah. we had so much common. Yeah. But, you know, meeting people like, you know, and I obviously I have other friends from my cast from the show, but meeting uh -huh. people like Dave, who I guess both now live in L.A., it, mm -hmm. you know, again, to go back to the uh, Hallmark card of it all, you know, <laughs> you know, the friendships really mean a lot, you yeah. know, to have people who went through this sort of weird adventure that we went through, um, to have people who understand that experience that I can still be close with today is really important to me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Zeke taking my Twitter. Uh, right, yeah, they, they were there for you in those times when the like the feedback wasn't so good. They were the feedback that could be good for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and even just, uh, yeah, just having people under, I, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I've, it's been nice to selectively reach out to who I want to meet from this community of people who share this experience. Like, I mean, Spencer, you're someone I really wanted to talk with because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, some shared experiences, but also, you know, you, you were like graduated from Chicago and I knew that like, Oh, I'm sure we have some common thoughts right, about this and, right. and it feels comforting and good to be able to sort of, yeah, for sure. No, the value of like finding your yeah. people, finding the people that like, get you that you can yeah. find support in like you did during your season i think that's hugely valuable and i'm really so glad that. you reached out to me for sure yeah well the funny thing is for the many listeners who have lasted this long <laughs> uh you know marcella your girlfriend was behind yeah. me in the airport yeah. and i was on the phone with my mom uh talking about survivor weirdly and she was like <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Like, you don't know me. I'm Spencer Bledsoe's girlfriend. But I actually recognized her because I'm a Survivor fan, you know, because she's, you know, you told her you loved her for the first yep. time. Yep. <laughs> On Survivor, yep. Really emotional and cute. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know if you, I, I didn't give the whole backstory. I felt like that was your story to tell. But yeah, it was funny serendipity how we ended up connecting. But I'm glad we her. did. I, in Chicago, in a Chicago, in O'Hare. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she recognized me, and she took a picture with me, and I was like, can I take a picture with you? Was, <laughs> sometimes the nerdy Survivor fan in me just takes over. <laughs> That's cool. That's I, awesome. I think this was really good, Hannah. I think, like, people can get a lot out of, you know, obviously they already have gotten a lot of you being open about your experiences, and everyone who's reached out yeah. to you talking about a panic attack or whatever else they've experienced that they related to you about. But I feel like people can also get a ton from you just in seeing how you've had this great attitude of acceptance through all of this and the value of therapy and in, you know, finding people who can be resources for you, knowing yeah. what resources are and understanding like when you're on Survivor, it's a very different situation than when you're in your everyday life with some comforts. Like 
I feel like people are going to get a lot of value out of that and want to thank you for, for, sure. for sharing everything. It's no, really and thank you for having me on too. Um, sorry, I just realized there was something I, but you can't edit sentences in different orders. I was like, there's one more thing about <laughs> we can, we can, we can totally just say what, whatever it is and it can be and out then of order. Can you, can you put it back in the, <laughs> maybe I can't promise, but I can, I, if it works oh, well, with no, it's not important. No, I it just, sounds like a great sentence. I think you need to say it. <laughs> it's not that great. I don't know why. <laughs> Let's take it back. No, but I was just thinking you were saying people have shared experience. No, nah, it's not. It's not important. Actually, cut the- <laughs> well, like, come on. Like I, I'm actually curious now. Yeah. <laughs> don't include it in the podcast. Cause, okay. it's, cause now it's all out of it. No, but I was thinking about like Zeke and Dave and the value of their friendship. And they, you know, they're both people who not just went through the experience with me, but who also understand anxiety. And so mm-hmm. to have people that had both of those things, to have them as my friend and in, in, in that time was like, you know, yeah. forever thankful. Yeah. yeah. Again, it could have been the crew supporting farmers. That would be my nightmare <laughs> right, that right. I'm going to have to try to relate to. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely, um, I mean, that, I think that goes right with what we were talking about at the end. Uh maybe i think think it works i think it's good yeah no i think that's the important thing about starting a conversation um i mean do i always wish my conversation had started with me collapsing on survivor maybe not (laughs) yeah it started something um yeah thank you so much for having me on and to people listening who made it all the way through thank you for listening i've so enjoyed interacting with you know people who have for one reason or another paid attention to me over the last year so um no thank you genuinely for having me on i it was it's been really uh it's been a really interesting conversation yeah we we covered a lot it was good yeah (laughs) all right until next time thanks As always, to stay in touch with us by email and hear about the podcast behind the scenes, you can visit us on redeemingdisorder.com. And special thanks to Hetty, who donated our theme music from her song Shipwrecking Me from her latest album. Be sure to check it out at hettymusic.com. Join us next week, and until then, we hope you feel empowered to start a conversation of your own. Thank you.